Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you being here tonight. I'm not going to preach a sermon. I don't do that anymore. I am going to share some thoughts. That's what I do now. For years, I think I preached sermons. I, I, I prepared lessons. And then for a good chunk of time, I just stole straight from Jason Moore. I mean, word for word sometimes. But for the last number of years, when I get an opportunity like this, I just share some thoughts. Tonight, it's going to be all about Luke. That's not the same as everything that could be said about Luke or from Luke, but it's all going to be about Luke. In fact, all the scriptures come from Luke. That was on purpose. Uh, I, I stretched a little bit to do that, uh, but I want it to be all about Luke. But before I get into, the, into the, the thoughts, I want to share just an observation about this opportunity here. I could think I could say what Scott said this morning, which is if they had asked me yesterday, I would have said yes, and the sermon would have been the same, because I'm just sharing thoughts that I've had over the last number of weeks from our study of Luke. And I want to um, offer a, an appeal. Maybe it would be an encouragement. Maybe you might think of it, take of it as a challenge. It's certainly not intended as a rebuke. Okay, let's just make that clear. But you all are missing out, brothers, when an opportunity like this occurs and you don't get in the mix. Okay, you're just missing out. And here's why I say that. When I think about my childhood, there's a lot of things I remember about my dad, and almost all of them are very favorable and very pleasant. I remember conversations around the dinner table with my family. I remember uh, trips in the car, conversations in the car. I can remember scenes from almost every room in my house, and, and probably so can you, right? I can also remember sermons my dad preached, and he wasn't a preacher. But from time to time, he would stand up in front of the congregation and share some thoughts. And that means a lot to me. I still remember those. They're very vivid to me. There was a time when he took duct tape and put it on a pair of old glasses, and that was an illustration. There was a time when he had a, uh, an aluminum can with both ends cut off, and that was an illustration about the, um, you know, traveling on an airplane. And really, you're just in a, you're just in a tube of aluminum. Uh, what's protecting you from death is just a tube of aluminum. And so I appreciate the opportunities to get up in front of my kids and pour into them. They, they get to see a part of dad. Now, they do get conversation around the dinner table. They do get, I heard recently, three-hour lectures. Is that really true? I, it cannot be that I could talk that long. But I think this gives them a, a, an insight, a glimpse right? Uh, think about it this way. This last quarter before Luke, we did it a little differently, and we had a study, 
And uh, the opportunity was afforded to any of the brothers who wanted to, to pick out a topic and prepare and lead the discussion. That was really good. That was really good. I got to hear Benny Scott lead a, a study on prayer. Uh, Randy was a great study about Satan. Uh, I think the, some of the most powerful 10 minutes was when Alan shared very personal experiences and thoughts about death and what he remembers and experienced when his father was uh, getting sick and, and eventually passed. And I could go on and on. Keith Maddox, bang-up job. And uh, there, there, we, brethren, we have... Thoughts to share from Scripture. Here's another way to think about it. From Scripture, what is said, what is instructed, what has God commanded about instruction that occurs in a venue like this? Not a whole lot, right? In terms of the format, the procedure, I mean, you got, uh, what, Moses giving some sermons? Right, you got some kings getting up and making speeches. Uh, I think it's Ezra and Nehemiah. We have the first occasion of a, of a pulpit, right? And they, he, he spoke or one, they spoke for hours, and some of the other men gave the sense of it because there were so many people. In the New Testament, uh, in, the, in the Gospels, we, we, we get little glimpses into what first century synagogue life was like, right? A man would stand up to read from the scroll and then sit down to elaborate on it. Apparently, in Paul's day, that uh, visiting Jewish brethren would get an opportunity, they'd get invited to, hey, you have any words to say? We have some sermons. But here's what's clear from Scripture, I think, is that if it's from the Scripture, and it's true, and it's spoken in love, anybody could do that. So... It can be instructional, it could be exhortational, it could be uh, edifying. There's all kinds of things that could happen in a, in a presentation like this. So my appeal would be that as opportunities like this come up, take the opportunity. Uh, Y'all are missing out, and, and we're missing out too in a sense, that we don't get to hear from, from more. Luke, all about Luke. So I got three points, and I numbered them just so you'd know where I was in the, in, the, in the course of things here tonight. But did you know that Luke is shorter than Nick, but not Han? That was meant to be provocative. I hope it's causing you to think a little bit. Do you know before Johann Gutenberg in 1440, that pretty much the only people of the hundreds of millions, we don't know exactly how many people, right, but hundreds of millions of people who lived, maybe a billion of people by the time Gutenberg came along, that the only people who had a written copy of Scripture were very wealthy people, people who were in the, um, you know, uh, preachers or clergy, priests, right, the, the, the scribes, the, the people who kept the documents. And then things changed, and thankfully, um, for hundreds of years, that became more accessible. 
And then you zoom ahead to the, the 1900s, and probably all of us can remember growing up that there were copies of the Bible in our house, multiple copies, probably different translations. And now in 2021, you know, Steve's iPhone, I checked today, 67 English translations on It's right here. Right there. All, I mean, hardly ever goes away from me. I hit a couple buttons and a voice. It could be English accent, it could be Australian, it could be American, starts reading the scripture to me. Did you know the average football game, NFL football games, about three hours and 12 minutes? That's about how long it takes to play, kick off to into the game. In college, it's a little longer, three hours, 24 minutes. It's a really important game, SEC championship, longer from all the commercials. I know some of the Auburn folks may have forgotten how long it takes uh, for an SEC football game, but uh, championship game, but it takes longer. Luke Skywalker, nine movies in the, in the Luke Skywalker saga. I had to look that up, okay? I didn't call my nephew Jared. I looked it up, and they averaged two hours and 18 minutes each. Cool Hand Luke, two hours, seven minutes. One of my favorites. I've seen it multiple times. The Gospel of Luke, two hours, 26 minutes. The law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord. They're more to be desired than gold, more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. There's almost 8 billion people on the planet right now. I don't know how many of them have one of these in their pocket, computer as powerful as, I understand, the computer that helped get the uh, Apollo, NASA, get it to the moon and back. But do you suppose that when any of the almost 8 billion people sing the words to that song, that God knows whether or not it's true for that person? Now, why am I sharing that? Because that's, that's what I've been thinking about with Luke. Um, I've got it in my pocket. I can listen to it at any time. How much, how much am I doing that? If I've, if I've watched Cool Hand Luke more, many, more times than I've listened to the Gospel of Luke, um, I think God knows. And what's the solution to that? What's the solution to that? If you're like me and you feel like, I could, I could do better, I need to do better, I need to grow in that way, I want to uh, remind you of a law. It is a law. It's, as, it's, as solid, it's more solid than the law of gravity. Same sphere, same realm as the law of sowing and reaping. 
This is a powerful law. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just put more of your treasure in Luke or John or Acts or the Psalms. Just put more of your treasure there. If you invest more time, your heart will follow. Turn off the TV, turn off the Hallmark movie, turn off the, whatever it is, whatever it is I'm doing, whatever it is you're doing, if we're not spending enough time in the, in the Word, if our heart is not there, then Jesus says, put more of your treasure. Store up your treasure there. Your heart will follow. A second point that has uh, gotten my attention over the last number of weeks. The catalyst for this was in our adult auditorium class when we were talking about parables. You know, Adam has, has chosen to uh, tailor the schedule so that we spend a, a good bit of time on the teachings of Jesus as found in Luke. And naturally, parables is a big part of that. And so he, uh, in, the, in the preliminary uh, class about that, spent some time talking about parables. And what does the scriptures teach about parables? What are they? What aren't they? Why did Jesus use parables? The scripture tells us some about that. And basically, I'm summarizing here, but basically the parable was chosen by Jesus intentionally in part to be a filtering mechanism, a sorter, a separator. It's the kind of teaching where different people can come to it, they can listen, and some people will dismiss it. They might say, that's simple, that's foolish. Other people may not get the meaning, may not get the import. And other people who have honest hearts, good hearts, for those it's intended for them to understand, they will understand. I've struggled with really sorting that out, that distinction out, however, because, as we know from the Gospels, there were many, many times where the people about whom Jesus said, this is for you. The disciples, especially the 12, they were in the dark many times. They were confounded. They were bewildered. I don't <laughs> explain this to us. We don't get it. They were flat wrong in some cases about what the parables meant. So if it was a filtering mechanism, it was filtering out some of the people who supposedly it was meant to filter in. And then there's cases where we know the people who were the enemies of Jesus the people who led the movement to kill him, sometimes they got the point very well. They knew exactly who Jesus was talking about when he spoke in parables. And so I, I wonder, is that, is that do, I, do I understand this sorting, this filtering uh, process correctly? But as I was thinking about uh, listening to some of the parables after our conversation in class, I had a, uh, it may be epiphany, Joshua, uh, John David, excuse me. It may be an, an epiphany that I had, I don't know. But um, an aha moment, at least. What if it's not the intellectual content of the parable, the meaning of the parable that's so sorting, filtering, that's difficult for some and hard for others? What if it's the application? So this is a, a passage in Luke where this uh, notion that parables are a sordering mechanism plays out. So 
His disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? They didn't know. So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And I, it, it, it dawned on me, this is, this is the, the process I went through, that uh, I was thinking about this type of parable. And there's a lot of statements like this in Luke and in the other Gospels. Uh, I dare say that on more than one occasion, this very uh, language was used. So Levi was hosting a grand banquet for Jesus at his house. Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with him. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Jesus said something like that a lot of times. Another variation of that is the shepherd is looking for the lost. I'm the good shepherd. I'm here to seek and save the lost. Well, that's not really hard to understand, is it? A shepherd protects his sheep, and when one's lost, he goes out and seeks and saves the lost. It's not really hard to understand that it's a, a, the sick people who need a doctor, not the well people. Pretty easy to understand. But here's the sorting, I think. Which one am I? Am I sick or am I well? Who do you think the scribes and the Pharisees thought they were when Jesus said to them, in response to their complaint, their criticism, why are you? Why are you eating with them? And his answer is, you know, it's the sick people who need doctor. I think they, yeah, okay, and I'm. I'm well, and they're sick, so I get it. But they totally missed the point, didn't they? They're every bit as sick as the ones he was reclining with. There's only one type of people in the world. There's sick people. There's two types of sick people. There's the sick people who know they're sick and are looking for a doctor, and there are people who don't know they're sick, and they think they're just fine. And so that, 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 uh, that hit me because for a long time I was worried about making, I under, making sure I understood the content of the parable, the meaning of the parable. But then it occurred to me, maybe the sorting is not only that, maybe it's also which one am I in the parable? And Jesus allowed a lot of people to feel content to feel self-righteous if that's what they wanted to do. They could take his words and say, yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm healthy, so I'm good. I think that's the most obvious to me illustration of this sorting because the parable is, is it's almost ironic, right? Because everybody Jesus talked to needed a doctor. But he used language that if you wanted to, you could see yourself as a healthy person, the doctor. He'd let you keep believing that if you wanted to. But the, that's not the only parable that you could see it that way. This, the soils. 
I don't think it's that hard to understand the soils and who they are. The harder part is, which soil am I? The wheat and the tares, the lost sheep, coin, the brother. Lost brother, or is it brothers? Well, that's right. They're, they're both lost, aren't they? One of them thought he was no problem. Maybe all of them are, are of this sort. Maybe not. Maybe some of them are more instructional and explain things. But um, that's one of my takeaways from Luke. And my last point, um, listening. Reading is good. Reading is great. Listening is also good. Listening in different translations. So in one chapter, in one context, Luke, uh, Jesus uses an expression that I... From my, my search, you know, I didn't, I didn't go read the whole New Testament to make sure this was true or not true, but from, the, from my search of search engines, it, it appears that this is the only three times that this language is used. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. That's strong language. And the one that kept hitting me as I'm listening to it was in the, the third one. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions, cannot be my disciple. I, I was driving down the road, I was like, wait, that, what? That, that can't be right. I mean, this, this must be a newfangled translation or something. Renounce? Listen to it again, still there. Listen to another translation, still there. In, uh, in the same context, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and f come after me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, if you're like me, when you hear that language, your mind starts going, now, wait a minute. I mean, I know that he doesn't mean, I know he, he, he can't mean that. He, he doesn't mean this and that, all these clarifying statements, right? And I do believe those clarifying statements are true. It is true. It is just factually true that by the time Barnabas sold a piece of land and donated all the proceeds to the apostles they could distribute it for the needy saints there, that prior to that time, Barnabas was a disciple. I think he was pleasing to God, don't you? And after that time, the, the apostles didn't say, okay, every one of you who has any property left, you ain't a Barnabas, you're a disciple, none of the rest of your disciples. That didn't happen. More people, as time went by, sold some of their property and brought it to the to the apostles' feet, right? So it's factually true that Jesus does not absolutely, positively require everyone who comes and follows him to sell and come as a nomad, follow Jesus. Now, he did ask one man to do that, didn't he, that we know of? Does Jesus have a right to do that? Does Jesus have a right to do that to anybody on the planet? He does. He's king. He's king. And he has the right to do that. And he chose for his own reasons that day, 
to tell that man, this is what you're lacking. And he wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He has the right to ask that of any of us. So far as I know, he has not asked me to do that. But if he did, and I said, no, I can't do that, what would that mean? What if Jesus meant what he said? What would that mean? Would it mean that I'm not really his disciple? I think so. So as I've wrestled with these passages, I am uh, spending more time thinking about what would I do and trying to let myself really imagine that and be in the moment there and the Lord appears to me in a vision or a dream or what, whatever, says, this is what I want you to do, Steve, and bring myself to the point where, yeah, I'll do that. Now, I, I think you're probably as confident as I am that I'm not going to get a dream or a vision that's really asking me to do that. So the question is, when we ask uh, these questions about whoever does not, cannot, right? Would I? Would I? If I were the rich young ruler and I encountered Jesus and he told me that, would I, would I do it? Would I give up, renounce in the sense of totally give it up, just walk away from it all? Would I do that? Would I, would I give my life? Would I confess Jesus is my Savior with a, a sword or a pointed at me? Would I give up my life for, uh, to protect my wife, my children, a friend? Well, prob probably one of the best ways to answer that is, am I? Am I? This is another uh, principle in Scripture. From Luke, Jesus said this. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So I think it's probably true that I give up This is meant to be encouraging and edifying. So if you, like me, as you probe that and you self-examine, you find out, I'm falling short there. I'm falling short there. I'm not sure that I would give it all up. Then what does Jesus have to say about that? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Start, start doing it. Start doing it. Start spending time. Call Lori Zena and spend time with her. I guarantee you, you start pouring into Lori Zena, you spend time talking to her. I, I hope I'm not, don't know anybody tell, okay? I, I don't want to embarrass her. But you call and spend uh, an hour a week talking to her, you're going to start caring about Lori Zena. That's the way we work. That's the way God made us. Yeah, you start investing in good works of various sorts. And this is not to suggest that 
any of us are not doing good works. I know you are. I know, I know you are. I'm just saying if you self-examine and you ask this question, would I, and you're not sure, and you don't feel like you're responding to Jesus' demands as a Lord, where do you start? You start with what you got. You start where you are. And you start with your treasure. And your heart, Jesus promises, will follow. Will you be his disciple? If tonight who is not a disciple, and you've been thinking about it, and you realize, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm guilty. I got sins, and I'm guilty. And I'm, I'm lost, I'm hopeless without, without a, a solution. Jesus is your solution. Jesus will forgive you. He'll wash you. And he wants you to name his name. And burial and resurrection to become a... And if you're ready to do that, sing. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.